Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 359th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is completely convinced there are too many variants. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Derek the Dark Mage, at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Welcome back to another week, and lo and behold, we have more spoilers. I'm not surprised, uh, but excited. I think, you know, anything to do with Phyrexians, I am always excited about. But uh, before we jump into the spoilers, I do want to remind listeners that the show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's their number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, I'll ask you what's on our agenda, but before we go there, you are falling by the wayside, my friend. Another victim of the corporate career climbing ladder. (laughs) Busy, busy over there in Politico land, and uh, we'll be sorry to see you go. Always sitting in reserve, ready to uh, jump on in when others can't make it, of course. But yeah, it's a uh, bit work keeps getting busier and busier, and I just got a uh, promotion. So, you know, taking the next six months or so at least to learn my new job and kind of keep keep that track going. I tweeted today, I brought $3,000 worth of uh, sales over the weekend uh, to the to the post office on the way to my uh, quote-unquote career. So at some point, maybe I'll flip and just be a full-time magicker, but for now, <laughs> gotta, gotta pay the bills, I guess. Yeah, there's a bunch of us straddling that line, and it's always uh, a little dicey to manage double career plus family plus everything else. And uh, but it's been a real pleasure having you here. And uh, we have Cliff coming in to take back the seat next week. And uh, who knows which of us will rotate through as the as the year progresses. Uh, But for now, what are our topics of the week, my friend? Yeah, of course. So we have our usual four segments. Uh, segment one is the metagame week in review. I say non-MTGO because this year, uh, this week we have paper cards to review, which is always fun. Uh, after that, we're going to get into segment two where we talk about our top movers of the week and uh, postulate on why we think these cards saw significant gains. Then segment three, our cards to watch where we both share what we have our eyes on at the moment. And finally, segment four, which feels like every week, is talking about the previews. Uh, And here we got more one reveals, which, of course, are, again, an exciting set. I think a lot of good things to talk about, but uh, we'll get into that a little later. So with that, why don't we kick over to the metagame week in review. We do have a contrast here, as you said. We're going to look at both the modern challenge from Magic Online from this weekend, as well as the Grand Open Qualifier, which was a 400-player tournament in Italy this past weekend, and the uh, similar-sized $20,000 RCQ that went down at SCG Con New Jersey. And the thing that strikes me looking at this modern challenge versus the Grand Open Qualifier on uh, over in Europe is that there was a lot of... Cr- similarity in what is showing up in paper and online as 
you know, we have attempted to digest the data from the Magic Online meta all the way through the pandemic and beyond, it has often struck us as, uh, you know, a big question mark as to whether paper would be in sync. And there are unique dynamics in both environments, and sometimes uh, different decks tend to be more prevalent. You know, a good example would be that in paper, you have old school Jun players, Merfolk players, etc., and Tron players that have been playing those decks for so long you know, updating them along the way that they they tend to make up a decent, you know, set of the meta at your local LGS on any given Friday night. But <clears throat> on Magic Online, things can rotate much more quickly as people move in and out of uh, decks in, in order to keep, you know, a 2 or 3% edge against the field. So looking at this modern challenge that did take place online this past Saturday, we see Jeskai Breach rising to the top uh, yet again, uh, certainly a deck on the rise. And the interesting thing here is that this is not the version of the deck that uses the uh, the milling uh, process. This is the aggro deck that we talked about finishing people off with small creatures and lightning bolt. Uh, in second place, we have Merfolk. Black Red Scam was in third. Amulet Titan was in fourth. Blue Red Murktide in fifth. Jeskai Breach again in 6th place, 4-color Creativity Combo in 7th, and Blue-Red Murktide in 8th. A fairly standard-looking top 8 based on uh, how modern looks these days. Now, if we contrast this to what happened over in Italy, you know, a lot of the same stuff. We've got Hammer Time uh, on top of the heap here. It didn't show up in the top 8 in the Modern Challenge on Saturday, but I think it did show up on Sunday. They were running a Haywire Might in the main. I thought that was interesting. Um, and then I wanted to flag that both the Blue-Red Murktide and Jeskai Breach decks that finished second and third in Italy were both running four copies of Ledger Shredder. And this has me uh, has reinforced for me that the Foil Extended Art Ledger Shredders, even though they are less rare overall than foil extended art rares were back in the Theros and Eldraine era, just because of the composition of the collector booster packs. The overall demand profile for this card between the multiple decks that run it in modern, the decks that are likely to run it in Pioneer moving forward, and its constant uh, demand vis-a-vis EDH and Cube, leads me to believe that original premium copies of the card are going to be solid gainers through the next 12 to 16 months. Yeah, Ledger Shredder, I mean, it's, it is it is it constantly surprises me, right? I mean, this is a card that pops up, you go, oh, it's not good, or it's fine, and then it blows out, and you'd think things, I guess, would adjust more, or, you know, it would fade. Like, we've seen these things, they come in, they're cool, they're a new toy, and then they fade. It's been a, a fairly long time, and it's still being run in four of in dominant decks throughout all variations of competitive magic. That is a card that I want to be a part of, right? <laughs> it, I mean, at a minimum, it's staying stagnant at, at worst, and more than likely, I mean, over time, as long as it doesn't see a reprint, I mean, the sky's the limit on something like that. Blue-red prowess in fourth in Italy, five-color domain, making a relatively rare appearance in fifth. Uh, Shardless footfalls in sixth, four-color creativity in seventh uh, in this tournament, same as it was in the other one merfolk in eighth here so you had sprinklings of a lot of the same elements and a couple of surprises now over in new jersey at the 20k rcq event that uh, star city games was running we had blue red prowess on top of the heap running 
for uh, Underworld Breach. So now you've got Breach in the Jeskai Breach decks, which have two flavors that are distinct decks. You have the Prowess uh, uh, shells running it, and it just seems to be turning into a value card. And it starts making you wonder why people didn't clue into Yogmoth's Will variant being a value card sooner than this. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I watched somebody on stream the other day. There was nothing going on. They just played uh, Mishra's Bobble, cleared out like 15 cards in their graveyard, draw, drew five cards because they didn't have a lot of mana, and next turn went off because... They're like they drew into it. They, you know, there wasn't a lot in the graveyard that was exciting, but they drew five cards. That is the worst case scenario. Best case scenario, you're obviously putting threats to the board. You're drawing multiple cards from draw spells. I, it's it's solid, right? Like it's never going to be um, Yogmoth's will. It's just not. But you know what? As long as you can emulate it in some fashion, that's pretty good card. Yeah, I mean, a will that can pull three or four things out of the yard and put them to work again is still a pretty strong card. Yep. Um, so second place in New Jersey, blue-white control, uh, running three subtlety uh, as a notable inclusion in the main. Hammer time in third here, Eldrazi Tron in sixth, red-black scam in seventh and eighth. Two very interesting decks, though, uh, in the fourth and fifth place. Uh, the fourth place deck fourth place deck was Rakdos Aggro, and we don't mean Red Black Scam, we mean Aggro. Four Dothy Voidwalker, two Evolved Sleeper, two Gix, Yogmoth Praetor, that's not a card I think most people had flagged for Modern, two Croxa, Titan of Death's Hunger, four Ragavan, two Season Pyromancer, two Turok, Dread Cantor, Fatal Pushes, Inquisitions, Culligan's Command, Lightning Bolt, Terminate, Thoughtseize, two Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and three Liliana of the Veil back on the menu in modern yeah so of all i thought gix would see play in pioneer it has not um and i think that's mostly just there's a shell that i guess wants it even though i'm surprised it's not played even as a one of in scan in like the red black shells but here i mean if you're connecting i mean you have dothy voidwalker unblockable evolved sleepers coming down on one Ragavan's coming down at one. If it's if Gix is coming late, you have Season Pyromancer, Pyromancer making multiple tokens. I mean, you're drawing probably two, three, four cards off of a Gix. So even if it dies, as long as it lives for a one battle cycle, I mean, you're getting value there. And then obviously, if it's in the late game, if everyone has drafted with this card and you can dump seven mana into it, it is absurd in the late game. And so. You know, two two copies seems about right here. You know, if you had three or four, too much. It's a legendary. One is a you know just toss in would be okay too. But uh, I'm not surprised to see it here. Um, it in on EDH rec. You know, this is actually one of the top seven cards I believe it is in the set of Brothers War, uh, and it's one of the only cheaper mythics right now. It's like fifteen bucks instead of twenty for a lot of the other really high end mythics um, currently. So. This is one I've been keeping an eye on. I, I've been buying all these Magic Online sets and redeeming them and selling them off, and the Gicks go faster than anything. And so I think this might be one to, to keep an eye on going forward. Very interesting deck. And then the, the one after it is Green-White Devoted Mystic Combo. The thing is, this is elements of the Devoted Mystic Combo decks of two or three years ago 
where it has all the same elements. You're basically just trying to get devoted druid and what vizier remedies yeah, on, yeah. On, on the table so that you can you can make infinite mana and then go off with a walking ballista. Um, but it also has the Stoneforge Mystic pass- package. It's got four Stoneforge Mystic, of course, and then it can go get Batterskull, Cauldre Complete, Luxior, Giada's Gift, or a Viridian Longbow all in the main. And you've got protection via Burrenton uh, Forge Tenders, Giver of Runes, Solitude. You know, this is this is yep. kind of jamming some peanut butter into your chocolate and, <laughs> and and hoping it all works out. And they've also got four layer of the Hydra, um, giving them oh yeah, interesting something to suit up and, and that, swing with if the combo gets knocked off the table. That Luxier play is pretty sweet, uh, right? Because you're you're just making basically a really big devoted druid if your win con's gone or it has some disruption then you're throwing luxury on it swinging in for the win because it's plus one one for each counter on it <laughs> right so basically if you can get if you can tap and untap the uh devoted druid infinite times the counters are on it but luxior is negating them but counts them anyway because if it was a plus one plus one counter from Luxior versus a minus one minus one counter from the ability on Druid, they would negate each other, right? They go to they just disappear, so they they wouldn't be counted by anything that was counting. But Luxior mm-hmm. gives you a bonus, not a counter. So yeah, that's real cute. I'm reading. I'm rereading the interaction between Vizier's Remedies and Devoted Druid to make sure we're right on this. Let's see. Okay, so Planeswalker plus one one. So I think I think I'm wrong. I think it's cute. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. So because it says plus plus one one counter on or negative one one counter on it untapped, but Vizier basically says if one or more would be put on a creature, put that many minus one instead. So yeah, it's infinite because basically you you pay the cost to put one on. Vizier checks it and says you get zero, and then you tap it and. Then you untap it and make another mana, and away you go. You just keep doing that over and over again. And so, yeah. if you've got a Luxier on it, yeah, it's an, it's infinitely large and can swing. Hmm. Assuming it's fun, yeah, very cute. Uh, so those are those are two decks I don't remember seeing at all in modern. Nope. The rest of this year and any of the top eights we've looked at, so definitely very cute. Um, you know, the art red black aggro makes use of a lot of cards that are used other places, but also has a bunch of unique stuff. And the devoted mystic thing is just must have caught most opponents just totally out of left field and un- probably scrambling to figure out what their sideboard plan was. Right. I will say so the which one was at the Italian tournament, um, the fourth place uh, deck is it's a kind of a traditional just it's supposed to be normally mono red. You have, you know, all the kind of light up the stage effects, um, lightning bolt on holy heat regavan all that but they splash blue with four steam vents and they just toss in casually four expressive iterations and two consider which seems like an odd choice uh but they're trying to i think the main point there is to give you a little bit more um long game right because expressive iteration you're kind of digging usually too deep maybe finding a a land plus a mishra's bobble or a, a burn spell 
Um, and so it's nice to see kind of some innovation on that. Usually a mono red archetype that they're they're splashing that blue, getting a little bit extra in there to give them a little bit more reach. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in Pioneer, you see the red-white variant uh, mm-hmm. of the deck as well. All right, moving on over to top paper movers. We've got Sky Sovereign Consult Flagship Wastes number 706 and Defense of the Heart all coming out of the a couple of the different 40k secret layers that we you and I looked at, reviewed and said, yeah, I mean these probably aren't going to go anywhere, but the thing is since a, you have this kind of catch 22 with secret layers, if they are mediocre but have a couple of good cards and very few vendors end up going deep on them, then they end up being targets for speculation because people flag that there's lower inventory of those secret layers on TCG player than there are of other secret layers from the same drop. And then it starts to become very uh, tempting to go after the cards um, that have the highest demand profiles. And in this case, you've got Sky Sovereign, which is constantly played in mono green and Pioneer. Waste is played all over the place. Defense of the Heart is probably an underplayed EDH card. Sky Sovereign went 12 to 18, 50% gains. Waste 706, 6 to 10, 67% gains. That was out of the Blood Bowl uh, secret layer, I believe. And then Defense of the Heart, 14 to 22, 57% gains. Uh, All of those look like speculator activity to me as opposed to natural uh, price gains. So it'll be curious to see whether they can hold the new plateaus. Yeah, I, the only one that we talked about, which I'm not surprised to see on this list at all, is the Sky Sovereign Council flagship. Um, that art is beautiful. If you haven't seen it, it's kind of like a. It looks like an old like steampunk plane getting shot at and shooting at other things. It's pretty cool, and especially considering the original art for that is not great. It's been in a lot of secret layers, um, and so the basic version is is pretty trash at this point. Um, this is a good replacement to that. Uh, not a lot of secret layers. You mean a lot of commander decks? Uh, yep, there you go. Commander decks, correct. Uh, Cityscape Leveler looks like real movement, though. This is uh, Brothers War Mythic going from 9 to 16, and pretty much all the versions of the card moved up this week. It's seeing a heavy, heavy play in blue-red control in Standard as the top-end finisher, uh, where they, they drop a Might Stone and Weak Stone and get ramp up to the posi- point where they can cast it cleanly and then if you deal with it they cast it again out of the yard and you and get even more value it's also seeing smatterings of pioneer and modern play and pioneer you see it at the top end of the mono green decks that can ramp up with nykthos and then in modern you see it in tron the common theme being decks that can ramp yep yeah the tron it's and we've talked about this before in cast but it's a cast trigger um which makes it a little bit more potent so if you even if it gets countered it's getting value uh, good card. Uh, I've been selling them on TCG Direct for almost 20 bucks a piece, uh, so this price is very real. Darksteel Forge foils from M14, but also from Double Masters, moving up. Call it, it says like the the stats say 46 to 90, but I don't think that I don't think that 90 level has been tested. The reality is you can still get copies in the 40 to 55 range and the question now is whether they will be able to push up further on low supply a lot of this is coming from the persistent demand for artifact matters cards uh given all of the stuff that came out of brothers war uh through the late fall that's i just just to add there the this seems kind of real as a price relatively speaking because i just looked up the double masters 
version of this, the original Doubles Masters foils are like 47-ish. So if those are hitting 47, you know, having this older, much, much older, much more scarce version go up, seems like it would be pretty real. Yeah, and it didn't have a borderless foil in the VIP packs right. from yep. Double Masters. This is one of the the uh, cards that that didn't have a fancier treatment. So it, it and and it has dodged some relevant secret layers lately, where it might have been included in in something like the Transformers secret layers. Uh, and since it wasn't there, they put doubling cube across across from Optimus and Megatron. It seems likely to be safe for a little while. Canoptech Tome Sentinel Surge Foils out of the 40k uh, premium decks 9 to 18. This is just more surge foil targeting on the back of a steady uh, undercurrent of demand. Blast Furnace Hellkite out of Brothers uh, War Commander cards 2 to $5. I think all the versions of this card moved up this week. It's in 2900 on EDH Rec so far. Third most played uh, Brothers War Commander card. And a powerful dragon in its own right, given that it, it makes a bunch of stuff swing with double strike. Yeah, I was surprised a little. So I saw people chatting about like this potentially being moving and this and that. And I looked up the EDR Trek stats. They're fine, but they're not like amazing. And so I kind of took a pass, um, which, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Pick the best things and focus in and do the best here is my you know i I missed out on something right it went from one to five or whatever it is and i should have probably gotten in but it's fine right um and so i i tend to try to practice what we preach and took a pass on this because the edh rank numbers didn't really live up to what people were saying um that said price doesn't lie it is up i'll be curious to see where it goes from here 3000 decks is nothing to sneeze at but that's equivalent to say gixian puppeteer Right. Out, of, out of Brothers War, the the real the cards from that same time period to compare apples to apples that are doing really well. Lauren of the Third Path, also targeted by speculators recently, is at ten thousand decks plus. Awake in the Woods is pushing eighty five hundred. Tokasia's Welcome is at seventy five hundred. Portal to Phyrexia, seventy seven thousand. So, yeah, I think the the Hellkite is mostly speculator driven, but. We'll see if there is enough uh, lingering dragon slash double strike demand to hold this up on a plateau. I would not be surprised to see it retrace and would not be chasing it. I'd be selling into selling into gains. Probably I would too. Um, although, I mean, the one thing here, it is a red dragon. Red dragons don't need to see that much play um, to to do well, it seems. And I I would guess this is the type of dragon that's kind of like big and clunky and whatever. It's super casual that uh, maybe it's underreported relative to its play just because the people that are playing it don't use things that, you know, self-report potentially. The thing is, it's not actually that clunky because it's a nine casting cost dragon, but it has artifact offering. So the deal in the artifact decks is you could have something like a solemn simulacrum on 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 four and on five. You're going to sack it to the Hellkite to bring it in as a flying double strike five five. Mm, that's what I was missing here when I anal- analyzed the first time. I was thinking it was um, per artifact, like sack treasure token, uh, not even a good example, but like. I didn't think about, yeah, you're getting the whole artifact value, not one per artifact. Yeah. That's part of my problem. So uh, the last one here is Hidden Gibbons out of Urza's Legacy, $2 to $6. Yet another one of these uh, monkey cards that have been 
speculator pushed to fresh plateaus on the back of Kibo hype. Um, we have a pro trader that built this deck and played it. It was cute. Didn't seem all that po- powerful. And the EDH community seems to agree because it's not even in the top 20 decks in terms of most built recently. And that screams to me that if you can sell monkey cards into this hype cycle that has just been sitting around collecting dust, you absolutely want to be doing that. Yep. I mean, one of those cards that's old, it's rare-ish, but no one cares. So sell it, get rid of it, move on to something better. <laughs> I mean, I would feel a little differently if Kibo was in the top three, but it hasn't even cracked the top ten. So move yeah. right along. Yeah. Tell us about what's going on on Magic Online this week. Sure. So we saw some movement this week. Uh, specifically, uh, Miria's Call was one of the movers. Went from about 18 tickets to 25. That's really based on the Mono White Legacy deck with Initiative doing very well. This is a four of in that deck. Um, so we've seen a Miria's Call go from about, uh, I just put 18 to 25 in the last week, but we've seen it go from 5 to 25 in the last two months um so it's seen a lot of movement there and just in general uh emery also on the move with just with its use in some of the breach decks going just from one to two ticks so not a huge change but 100 percent gains uh and i put one on here obviously we were always just kind of picking a few here to represent what's happening broadly but uh kayla's reconstruction we've talked about a few times on cast in the tournament list so i I included on here it went from uh, about 0.3 ticks to 0.9 ticks brother words card that's kind of like collected company five through eight um and that is going uh, you know about a 200 percent gain which obviously is not a huge but uh definitely something where if you saw it being played all over in all these tournaments doing well hitting top eights you could you could make a decent profit on on the back of the green white angels deck exactly right all right, moving right along to cards to watch. Uh, Darksteel Forge, uh, the aforementioned foil movement, caught my attention, so I decided to take a look at the non-foils. The Double Masters non-foils started around 20 back in mid-October, and as we move towards Brothers War, they've done nothing but go up. And the steepness of that curve is actually stronger than it was with the foils. We're now looking at 20 listings starting at about $30 on TCG Player, but... Uh, the curve up towards 40 or 45 is pretty steep. And over in Europe, we can still get these in and around 23, 24, 25 dollars, even given the recent currency shifts and uh, considering shipping, as long as you've got a cart going with a few other items in it. All of that leads me to believe that you could probably snap these off at 24, 25 over in Europe and or Japan. There are also opportunities over on that side of the world uh, with this particular card and aim to out on these somewhere closer to 45 or 50 somewhere in the next six months i was shocked when i saw the price of this card this is like one of those casual cards where you know i'm not the one playing this it's other people that you know i I have to try to get in their head on um but it's amazing to me it's been very resilient it's this was down when it it launched the devil masters came out this was only ten dollars that's crazy. Um, so even though you're coming out of the tail end, I agree, especially with the reduced price. Um, I think it's pretty much on track. You know, I, This is one of those what it slips into all the decks that are being made with Megatron and all these other things. It's missed the prime reprinting, as you mentioned already earlier. So I, I think it's on track. Um, obviously, it could get slapped somewhere else, but I don't I don't really see where uh, we've hit all our reprints. 
The only thing is a secret layer, but the themes wouldn't make sense relative to what they've already printed in the last couple months. So I, I agree. It's on it's on the right trajectory. Um, the only thing I could stop it is if a new wave of supply came, but I don't know where that comes from right now. Basically, what you want to do with this card in EDH is you dump it to the yard, and then you use one of the many little uh, tricks like Goblin Engineer, Welder-style effects to put put it back into play. And the then you're getting your 9-drop that makes all the rest of your artifacts indestructible for the rest of the game, and that creates lots of problems because then people have to be exiling things. They need to cast a Farewell or something to deal with your board. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with you that I think we've missed a lot of the reprint opportunities that are likely at least for the first half of this year. And as a result, you got the secret, kind of the overhanging uh, acts of the secret layer that could come into play, but I, I think they're moving on to other themes. Um, you know, we've got Phyrexian-themed secret layers coming up, and and then you know, we'll see whether perhaps March of the Machines might lead to another opportunity for this to catch a reprint. But in the interim, uh, there is definitely a chance for the Nimble to get in and out quickly here. Yeah, and I would I would try to get in and out. I mean, this is a type of card where you're partly playing into the themes that are happening now, so you want to get out because once those themes fade, it could also just depress the price a little bit. All right, what's your first pick? So I'm going to go with one which uh, we kind of called a little bit like maybe three or four months ago when we looked at it. Uh, but it wasn't an official pick, so I'm grabbing it here, which is Liliana Dreadhorde General, specifically the stained glass secret layer foil version. Uh, and this is one when we last looked at it, I mean, it, it, when this came out, so it was in the um, one of the secret layers, it was dropped in. So previously, let's back up. It was a $100 card because it was very rare. It was only in a couple secret layers as like a one of, you know, option for amongst many. Uh, and it was and then it came out and it was in every single black version of the one with um, with uh, Grizzlebrand and a bunch of others and in both in the etch foil and in the regular foil versions and so it just got crushed and if you looked at TCG six months ago there was walls of 60 80 everywhere because people were ordering the bundles it was a great secret layer drop and it, it looked like you know what's going to happen like they were just everywhere and now you've gone to secret a uh, TCG player the walls are getting close to being gone I mean there's still you know 10 copies here um, 18 copies here. Disclosure: I have 60 at uh, priced at $60 because I'm confident here. Uh, I probably will lower that lower that a little bit, but um, I am not competing for the $18 price point. I think this is going to go from 18 to roughly 40, um, which would be getting it, you know, not nearly close to what it was before, but it would be pretty, high, you know, much higher than it is now over a double up before fees. It is in 50,000 EDH rec decks, and so it's it's played very broadly. The base version is still around $20, uh, and people, I think, generally like the secret layer versions. They became a little bit too abundant, but people like them. They look pretty. Uh, and this has seen several printings now, and so I don't think it's on the reprint list. You know, you never know, but that would be my intuition. Uh, so I, I have the secret layer stained glass version of Liliana and Dreadhold General going from uh, about 18 to 40 over the next 12 months. Yeah, the, the only part here I have any disagreement with is I think we probably are looking at 18 to 24 for the rebound, but that that's a time frame that, like, one to three years that I'm entirely comfortable with. If you look at the reports that I, I post inside our sales reporting channel, my big profit margins are almost always in that, that whole time range. And 
you have to annualize. You know, if you get 100% over three years, you got to annualize that back down to the like 20 something percentage that it ends up being. But those are still very good returns compared to, you know, for instance, stock portfolios, et cetera, uh, especially lately. So, yeah, I like this one. It's a very powerful planeswalker. It's never going to be less good in EDH. We're only going to get more zombie-related cards in the future, token cards, et cetera, that, that help this find more homes. And, you know, the Amano Lilies are still ex- some of the most expensive premium cards printed in the modern era of Magic. And, you know, these don't probably don't deserve to be... 20 or 30 times less expensive. So we'll see, but uh, how about you, James? What's your next pick? My next one is Seat of the Synod, uh, the foil borderless pixel art version from the Secret Layers. I don't think I bought any of these at the time because I think my my review of them on the Pro Trader Discord was that they were an intermediate pick from that drop series. But we got a ton of Artifact Matters attention in EDH this fall, uh, months after these came out. And currently we're down to just 30 listings for this version of the card, which is easily the nicest version that has ever existed and probably ever will. This is very, very cool art um, that's well on theme. Going for about $20 right now, and I could see that easily climbing from 20 to 40 over the course of the next 6 to 12 months as people continue to build artifact decks. March of the Machines probably gives us more of that theming uh, later this spring before we turn our attention to Lord of the Rings and get back into Modern Horizons 3 or whatever. But in that 4 to 6 month space, I think there's some good room for cards like Darksteel Forge and Seed of the Synod to climb that uh, are have not been, are either in in the case of Cita Synod, have an artificial scarcity because they're a secret layer that, you know, nobody can crack any additional boxes to add stacks of these um, other than what has already been tabled for the most part. And in the case of Darksteel Forge, it's just been out of print for long enough to start climbing. And uh, yeah, these are great looking cards and I forgot to buy some, as I said, so I'm going to have to pick them up myself to add to my Brea deck and away we go. So one of the ways I look at you know, where I think things are at is not just looking at how many vendors are on TCG player, but specifically how many vendors at near mint with four or more copies, because the one of two of's you can get kind of distracted. What you're looking for is walls. I looked at the wall for this and there is uh, an eight, a six, an eight, a four and a 20, which is you, you guess. And that's <laughs> me. Uh, I have a price at 35. So I was only slightly off from your 40. Uh, and I'm only in on this because it was part of the same secret layer bundle uh, that I got the Liliana's in. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, this there is very limited supply. I mean, one of the great things about see the cyanide is it's, it's actually sees legacy play and some of these other formats that like really don't matter in other spaces, but it does here. And so if you look through the TCG uh, sale, sell history, there are several copies of threes, fours being sold because they're being put in competitive decks. Um, and so I think that is something that really bolsters this in a way that it doesn't, some of the other similar situated lands that don't really see a lot of competitive play um, in addition to the obvious EDH pressure. So uh, my literal money is on the line in the same boat here. I have my list for 35. You have it at 40. I think both are reasonable. I, you know, I'd probably sell some at 35 and move it up to 45, honestly. So I'd, I'd be doing about the same thing. So I clearly agree because I priced it the same way. 
The other bonus pressure here is that these are major popper cards. Popper challenge yep. from January 8th included an affinity deck, classic affinity. This is with Frogmites and Mirror Enforcers and the like. And of course, when you're running those, you're running your... These lands were common back in the day in Mirrodin, so you get to run your four Great Furnace and your two Seated Synod in that deck, three Vault of Whispers, which means that all of those are, you know, bolstered to whatever degree you believe popper players are out there building premium versions of their popper decks just to annoy yeah. the other popper players. I have I have zero insights into the popper community outside of Moto, so I, I'm not sure, but it can't hurt. It cannot hurt. <laughs> if we look at if we look at the sales data, these are also moving pretty decently for premium cards. You got onesie twosie per day kind of thing, which is exactly what you want to see um, for that kind of stuff. What is your final call here? Sure. So my final call, which I mentioned in the Moto Movers, is Amiria's call, um, specifically the foil extended art versions going from 11 to 20. Uh, and here, I mean, I talked mentioned previously the legacy play. That's obviously not a huge factor in paper. But generally speaking, this card just continues to see strong play. Um, white keeps getting better as an EDH card. And if you look at the base versions of Miri's Call, they're getting up there. Um, they're up to seven, eight bucks a piece um, for a lot of sites. So having the extended art foils at 11 and having the supply not be huge. I mean, there's still enough around, but it's a, a pretty reasonable amount. If you go on TCG, the kind of um, foil near mint vendor list is down to 24. So it's not huge with pretty limited walls one wall of five at uh 12 bucks and then the next jumps up to 25 and so i have this um just kind of very i think conservative going from 11 to 20 in a 12 month period i think it'll probably go past that but you know with reprints being what they are trying to get out relatively reasonably early is probably not a bad thing so i have yeah miri's call foil extender going from 11 to 20 they don't have a lot of places they can print flip mythic lands correct they can certainly do a secret layer to revisit these if they want to but we don't have zendikar on the agenda anytime soon i think pretty sure this fall is return to ixalan if i'm not mistaken so zendikar is probably a few years off yet and given what they they revealed this week with all the planes what you know the gatewatch characters that have been turned evil and i'm assuming they're then going to have teferi save everybody by altering the timeline since he's lost in time currently in the past you know, who knows where we're headed. Amiria's Call, Foil Extender, Mythic uh, land that sees tons of play alongside the blue one, the green one, uh, the red one, and the black one. And this is very similar to the situation with the Neon Dynasty lands, except these are Mythics instead of Rares. Zendikar Rising was overprinted, probably by 10 or 15% versus market demand. There was collector booster boxes sitting around for months and months after the initial release that were lower and lower in price, and the gaming company and other big vendors snapped up what they could at you know rock-bottom prices and then cracked for singles and let them drain slowly over time. So given that all of that has gone on to, you know, take a look at some of these mythic lands and realize that they are actually getting down to a level of listings that is going to turn the corner on pricing and ratchet them up to another plateau. It's a pretty good place to be for anybody that cracked this product. And I've certainly got a bunch of these sitting around in a variety of languages, so I would love to unload them. Yeah, and all the lands are pretty good. They obviously have varying levels. Um, I think black is probably the most expensive, if I had to guess right now, but... 
Uh, I would have to double check on that, but Agadim's Awakening? Yeah, probably. Zendikar yeah, it looks Rising. like black and blue are close. They're, they're yeah, both about 28 for the, the loyal. Yeah, yeah, uh, Seagate uh, Restoration. Yeah. All right, so we can move along to all sorts of reveals that were dropped for Phyrexia All Will Be One. Uh, turns out that the five mythic planeswalkers in the set are the completed planeswalkers, which are the planeswalkers that have been corrupted by the Phyrexians. And that includes Jace, Vraska, Nahiri, Nissa, and who am I missing? Uh, Luca. Yep. The so Jace the Perfected Mind was revealed today. Uh two blue and a Phyrexian mana, so either four or three and two life. Uh plus one is until your next turn up to one target creature gets minus three, minus zero. Uh unexciting, but not surprising given past Jace's. Minus two target player mills three cards, then if a graveyard has twenty or more cards in it, you draw three cards. Otherwise you draw a card. Minus X, target player mills three times X cards. So this slips into all the blue mill decks in EDH forever because it is three mana, mill some stuff, draw some cards, which helps you mill some more stuff. And you can also, if you get Jace, you know, boosted pretty big and he survives on board for a while, you can make somebody mill 15, 20, 30 cards. So... This doesn't look like a red hot spec to me because it's mill specific and mill cards tend to have trouble getting there. But it's a solid card for that genre. I'm not sure I would want this to be the last Jace if it were, but I don't also don't believe it's going to be the last Jace. Yeah, <laughs> so, I agree with that. I could yeah, be, I, I could easily see it being something like they end up coming back to the fold some one way or another with you know time manipulation or whatever. But then Jace is a blue black character the next time we see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I mean, this seems strong to me, but obviously it has to go in the right deck. But 20 cards in your graveyard is not crazy for, you know, modern, for example. Um, that said, modern is just so powerful. I don't know if you want to take off um, a turn to draw three cards, even. Three cards used to be, like, a lot. Now, eh, you just play down a, a breach and draw, you know, three, four cards for two instead so we'll see i mean this could be um pioneer i guess but it's hard to fill your graveyards i like it as a mythic um but yeah yeah i think it needs to find a home but it seems like us of the completed planeswalkers it does seem like one of the stronger versions i think it's very niche like it's it's a strong mill card but it is limited to mill mill has always been niche so financially speaking i, I don't expect it to be expensive I don't think it's limited to mill. I, I I really don't. I mean, it's uh, you could see it like in a blue white control shell. Yeah, or something I mean, as a it, you, you 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 it's it to kill. It does negative three, right? So if you if you're on the play, you go you know turn one pass, turn two kill your thing, turn three play this out, draw a card. Next turn tick up, block whatever they're doing, and then uh, you know from there on it's just solid. And if you're playing. Yeah, with any sort of like i'm filling my graveyard anything right it, it can do okay on its own it's just like a value card um if you're playing it for four you're getting two cards right away you're milling six um the likelihood of you not getting to 20 pretty quick in modern is probably pretty low um so i don't know i i could see it playing a, being a role player 
But like you said, I mean, it does have to go in the right deck, but I don't think it's exclusively to mill per se. This next one I'm a little more interested in personally because it sl- slots right into Atraxa where it ends up killing somebody the turn it comes into play. Vraska Betrayal Sting is four black Phyrexian mana, so six or five and two life. Zero is you draw a card and you lose a life and then proliferate, which in Atraxa Planeswalkers puts loyalty counters on all your planeswalkers and attracts a counters puts counters on all your creatures if you're building a poison version all the people get poisoned uh minus two target creature becomes a treasure artifact with sack this art well with basically target creature becomes a treasure so you basically just get to wipe something off the board and it has to be targetable so you can't do it to things that are have boots on or whatever but it's still just going to kill something and still be sitting there ready to do it again if it's def- if it is defended the minus nine is if target player has fewer than nine poison canters they get a number of poison canters equal to the difference so this can just give somebody nine and then attracts it will proliferate at end of turn and they would get the tenth and die for that to happen this would have to have 12 loyalty as it came into play but if you have the the green praetor or doubling season mm. in play or a couple of other things that's not hard to do in atraxa um, because the, the puzzle pieces are already there this just becomes yet another planeswalker that can kill somebody or win the game if it gets double loyalty so Overall, I'm I'm in most decks. I'm going to be much happier to run Liliana Dreadhorde General as a six casting cost Black Planeswalker, but this one is very solid as well, and I suspect it will be moderately popular over time. So, speaking of Vorin Clex, uh, which is the Green Praetor, I think you were referring to it. Uh, I've been selling those, which is a little higher because it's TC Direct, but like for fifty bucks a pop, which. You know, I, I don't know if, if folks are remembering the price, but this was one that came out. It did, you know, it had some hype, then it kind of faded. As you said, you know, Kaldheim was um, open pretty broadly, pretty hard. And so it uh, it kind of faded down to 22 bucks, I want to say. And now it's it's just hard rebounded. So I, I definitely missed buying the bottom on this because I just wasn't paying attention to the card at the time. But the it started the year 2022 closer to $25 and 50 and is kicking mm-hmm. off this year a lot closer to 50. So go figure uh backup doubling season on a trample haste six, six body is totally reasonable. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it has plenty of homes and it got telegraphed, right? I mean, it's a good card, but it's only in 36,000 decks. So it's not like it's, you know, so ubiquitous that it's obvious that it would be this price but it's, 36 it's up, it's up 36k is is like a tier it's it's, I, not, it's solid it's not it's yeah. not it's not quite s tier but that's a tier yeah. for being only two years old yeah two years old with a high price point no matter what which means it's limited and who plays it yeah speaking of huge green uh planeswalker related cards nissa ascended animist three double green double phyrexian mana so cost seven or five and four life plus one is create an xx green phyrexian horror creature token where x is nissa's loyalty so if you pay, paid full fare for her then you're getting an eight eight on your plus uh and on the next turn it would be a nine nine and a ten ten and so forth um if you 
paid for Phyrexian life, then she comes in with uh, two fewer loyalty counters, so you would be getting a 6-6. Six, six. And the minus one is destroy target artifact or enchantment, which is never not going to be useful in EDH. The minus seven is until end of turn target creatures you control get plus one plus one for each forest you control and gain trample. So it's got a crater hoof ability stapled to it. I would expect that of the completed planeswalkers, this is the most popular one for EDH and it will be popular to very popular. It sounds right to me. Uh, we've also got Nahiri the Unforgiving, which is one red, red or white Phyrexian, and then white. So four or three and two life. For a five loyalty planeswalker that says plus one until your next turn, up to one target creature attacks a player each combat if able. So you can uh, force an attack. Plus one, discard a card, then draw a card. And the zero is exile target creature or equipment card with. Uh, mana value less than Nahiri's loyalty from your graveyard create a token that's a copy of it that token gains haste exile at the beginning of the next end step this is deceptively powerful people might read the first two abilities and go ah eh, cool not that special but you don't want to skip that zero <laughs> that zero is take any creature or equipment card from your graveyard as long as its value is less is equal to or less than Nahiri's loyalty. So if you cast her at four, you're going to do this for anything five or less. Is it less? Less than. So four or less. Yeah, less than. Um, four, four or less. And if you brought her in on three, then it's going to be two or less, which is certainly less exciting. But at EDH, you're probably just put pay, playing her on four. And then you get to bring equipments in that have haste, creatures in that have haste. They have comes into play abilities, perhaps. There's a lot of silly things you're going to be able to do with this repeatable graveyard mining. I, It has potential. It's a build around, obviously. If it was in blue, black... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. I'd be, I had the same I'd be thought. so much... You know, like, that. that's where I want it to be. In red-white, I'm like, what do you do with this? I don't... I don't play... Try to get storm, stone forges out of the graveyard or something? Great. That's Well, cool. you can put Ember Cleave tokens into play after they deal with your ember cleave <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, I i think people are i've heard some analysis it's like this is kind of trash i don't i wouldn't go that far i think rummage ability especially when you can i mean if you're if you're out of hand it says discard then draw it doesn't say discard and if you do draw so it's just straight draw so that's good i think the other plus one the you know attack at, if able obviously in some situations especially in edh i think that has some applications but general in competitive that's trash um and then the the returning is strong but you have to build around it um i think it i think it could see some play but it's definitely more limited than i think it looks at initial blush yeah uh i'll tell you what cycle kicked off strong the phyrexian horror mythics there's one in each color and they showed us mondrock glory dominus today very grandiose name it's a 4-4 four, four for 4 in white. If one or more tokens would be created under your control, twice that many of those tokens are created instead. So we talked earlier this year about the kind of onslaught of Treasure Matters cards and how Academy Manufactor was kind of an uh, inevitable gainer because of all the cool interactions that it had with a variety of other things that they printed. And now you got this thing that says... 
Anytime you get a food token, anytime you get a blood token, anytime you get a treasure token, anytime you get a gold token, anytime you get a creature token, you get twice that many. And, you know, it's not limited in any way. And then you can give the creature that's providing that backup effect in the same way that Vorinclex is the backup to doubling season. This is the backup to your anointed procession or your parallel lives. And therefore we'll see tons of play when you're the second or third printing of something that a deck really wants and you're providing the um, alternate draw step to get that puzzle piece onto the board and start going off you're going to be a very popular card and as a rare this would have got very cheap as a mythic it's probably going to be like Vorinclex. it's going to get too cheap at some point we're all going to forget about it and then we're going to need to put a note in the calendar for about a year from now to pick these up on the cheap and get ready for them to climb for the next three to five years yeah i i agree i also wondered whether this interacts i mean, I kind of like looking at it with elish norns one more mana and that is any permanent entering the battlefield um double triggers. Know, doubles the trigger so if you have a I don't. I'm trying. I'd have to think through more, like what the token is that comes into play that has triggered abilities. But if you do, like those two work synergized together, and they're both obviously well. White. For instance, say you're in red white and you had both these cards in your deck, and you play a seasoned pyromancer, you get double one ones, right? Um, uh, and and it happens twice, so you get quad. Right. Also, if you're playing the new, um, no, you get you get eight. Eight, if yeah, if eight. you had all three of those cards together, if you're playing Shrekville's Hive, that's the new the Bitter Blossomish card. So it's a sure, one yeah. white, one colorless. Beginning lose a life, create a one one Phyrexian with a toxic. So you get one. two of them. Yeah, that could give you two. There's a lot, lot of little things going on here, but yeah, I mean, just it's a mythic. It doubles up tokens. You want that? It has extra abilities for indestructible, which anyone wants. Like. And it's and it's four four for four, so it's not even like a terrible body. And and just with smothering tithe, you're probably right. going to get to the indestructible, right? Oh yeah, because yeah. you get to pay one one Phyrexian Phyrexian. So right. you drop Mondrock into a smothering tithe. Your opponents draw a card. You get two treasure. You immediately indestructible Mondrock. Yep, very good card. Uh, and I suspect that at least one or two of the other uh, Phyrexian horror mythics are going to be equally nasty. Uh, they showed off this ridiculous rare, uh, Bloated Contaminator. Two and a green for a 4-4 Trample, Toxic 1, <laughs> when it deals combat damage to a player proliferate. Like, are you kidding me? That's the most pushed 3-drop I've seen in ages. And... Still probably not good enough for modern, but certainly good enough for standard. And we'll see play in EDH just because on rate and in theme, it makes sense. There there are plenty of decks that are interested in proliferating. Like, for instance, I have a Traxa Planeswalkers, which has almost no creatures in it. But I also have a Traxa Counters, which is all the creatures with counters on them. And even though this doesn't put creature counters on itself, it does give the opponents toxic. And as a 4-4 trampler for three, if you play it in the early game, it's going to get in a couple times and start that process off. And then your other proliferate cards are slowly poisoning those people to the point where it becomes a problem. And yeah, it's just a great card on rate. And I don't really want to 
sit across from it and draft because it's going to be you're going to play your two two for three and they're going to play this thing and you're going to be like oh fuck i hope i find a kill spell soon so my read of toxic is that it's going to be bad i'll be like not not very strong i'll be very curious if i'm proven wrong on that it feels like they tried to fix infect and went a little too far and then it's just going to be kind of middling and you're going to have to have a lot to close out toxic games I, I could be wrong, but that was my read from what I've seen so far. I, I suspect that it is tuned for limited, but that there is going to be a green-white toxic deck in standard. Yeah. Would be my guess. Probably. And, and some of these cards w- might be relevant in, in fact, for modern. Right. And if they're doing their job, it should be, right? Like, you, you shouldn't have a theme that's just totally unplayable, but... yeah. They, in fact, was kind of broken, so it wouldn't be surprised me if they overcorrect. Uh, so some of the other stuff they showed us today, they they did the collecting Phyrexia All Will Be One, and they did a detailed breakdown of the collector boosters, which is, of course, often uh, of relevance to our listeners. So this time around, we've got one slot that is Traditional foil, alt border, rare, or mythic, which means you can get extended art rares, extended art commander rares or mythics, or borderless rare or mythics in foil in that slot. That's about what you would expect. Uh, One slot that is non-foil borderless rare or mythic, so the borderless cards get their own slot. Um, That probably, probably means there are more of those than the rares or mythics that don't have a borderless treatment. Step and complete is another treatment, um, and there's a foil slot that is commons, uncommons, rares, and mythics. That makes them a little more rare on the top end, I think, because the if this slot was just rares or mythics, there would be more of them than if they are competing based on rarity against commons and uncommons, if you follow. Um, it means there's a bigger card pool. Um, and what is step and complete? That's... It, it's a it's a treatment that is shown off on the website one of many this is the little phyrexian logo one yeah yeah i believe that's true yeah so it's got like the little phyrexian rainbow symbols right yeah all over it yeah uh and so they they come across the entire spectrum of rarities uh which means i think the mythic ones are actually fairly rare if i'm reading this correctly Traditional foil showcase Icker, commons or uncommons. Non-foil showcase Icker, commons or uncommons. Uh, Icker is a whole is another treatment. Uh, I think everybody's agreed in the Magic community that there are too many treatments here. Uh, on the plus side, they're all cool. <laughs> there's, there's no terrible ones. They're all they're all solid options. And I actually think that it is fine. Like I think there's too many, and I think it's a burden on vendors. And I also think it that in the situations where they don't split the slot, like if you have three variants of something, if it means they are all three times more rare than they would be otherwise, that's cool. If it makes mythics not actually mythics, that's a different different thing right. entirely because now you're, you're messing with rarity. Uh, and there have been examples of that recently. Uh, to finish this off, there's a non-foil extended art jumpstart rares or commander rares or mythics. These are cards that would be found in Jumpstart or in the Commander decks where they would not be extended art, but in the Collector Boosters they are. And then there's a non-foil extended art rare slot. 
Uh, one traditional foil rare or mythic, two tr traditional foil uncommons, four traditional foil commons, so those are still going to be dirt cheap. Uh, and then there's the slot with the Phyrexianized basic land or foil panorama land. Both are really cool, but I think the Phyrexianized basic land is going to be the one people are going to be after for the most part, uh, because that's the one by Mark Riddick, which is the same as the secret layer from i think a year and a half ago if i'm not mistaken that did very well uh they are really really good looking lands it's uh really good work by mark and then the double-sided tokens are the final slot now if we look at that the the most the slot with the most goodies is the traditional foil alt border rares or mythics so the foil fancy cards and in that slot they said you get Everything, let me just double check this. You get everything that is mentioned. So you've got in the Booster Fund Rare or Mythic non-foil, there are five rare borderless fast lands. So that's the return of the fast lands that we talked about last week. That's 13% of the time. You get 16 rare borderless Icker cards 41% of the time. 10 rare borderless manga cards 25% of the time. The five Mirren heroes and five completed planeswalkers, uh, ten mythic rare borderless Icker cards, thirteen percent of the time. Five mythic rare borderless manga planeswalkers, three percent of the time. Five mythic rare Phyrexian language planeswalkers, three percent of the time. And five mythic rare borderless concept praetors. If I had to, if I had to cut a treatment for the, all of this, it would be the concept praetors. They are cool, but you didn't need that many versions of the praetors. Bottom line, there's going to be a lot of praetors. So I, I don't think it's going to be easy for Elish Norn to be very expensive. I don't think it's going to be easy for Elish Norn to be Shieldred level expensive, but time will tell. Now, if we get to the foil version of that slot, they say that you can get extended art rare or mythic rares in foil 49% of the time, and the remaining 51% of the time is distributed proportional to the rates described in that slot above that's a lot to digest in podcast form, so look for Cliff Daigle's article on MTG Price either this week or next to break it all down. Um, the bottom line is it looks like the borderless manga and Phyrexian language treatments are likely to be the rarest out of these. Um, it seems to me... They mentioned the Junji Ito Elish Norn being something like 1% drop rate uh, in the in the collector boosters which means very rare indeed and probably the chase card of the set i can't see anything else that is likely to get above it they also showed off that the bonus card in the phyrexia complete bundles that are coming out in march is going to be a phyrexian language phyrexian arena that depicts Veraska completing jace uh, or bringing him into the fold to be completed and that is a nice little bonus for the pro traders that just signed up for our uh, fairly unique group buy. It's complete bundles that are going for anywhere from 55 to 80 at various places in the market, stripped down to the good stuff for just $40, and then shipped in a compact arrangement of 10 bundles per. So that'll be like 10 Phyrexian, Phy Phyrexian language, Phyrexian arenas that will be included for those people, which is uh, a nice little get because that promo could easily have been something that would not be that useful. I'm really curious what Phyrexian Arena gets down to now with all these different reprints, but 
I'm glad it's, it's coming down to earth. It's going to be cheap. Um, so on the bundles, I, I just I just love that they're trying to get people to spend two hundred plus dollars on collector boosters. They're failing. They're having a lot get dumped in the market and getting mass cracked after you know key timing, and then they're going. You know what? This is working so well. Let's make another product and put things in there that only you can get in this separate product that's also not like reasonably cheap. It's it's kind of a it's I love it. I love I hate it, but I love how they just like keep trying to push it. And see here, you know, here here's we'll the see. thing. I, I think the analysis that that people table that the collector boosters don't sell well is just wrong. Collector boosters sell. Oh ex- yeah, they sell they sell they, well. Yeah. They sell extremely well. They just don't sell to the level that they are printed, which right, is a whole exactly. different matter. Like yeah, they're a success. They just see us print whatever 10 to 20 percent less depending on the set if they printed 20 percent less they would they would sell out every time right and they would climb too high too fast and people would be complaining there is a sweet spot they are not they could they i think they i believe truly they have all the data to hit that sweet spot but because of the pressure from hasbro to continue ever expanding revenue and profit from magic they have not even tried they have instead been trying to flood the market with the max it would absorb. And that's a, that's clearly a long-term mistake. I think everybody agrees. Um, but it also means that things like, you know, Vorinclex get really cheap a year out and then double the year after. So you just have to be aware of what the dynamics are and be ready to move when the time is right. Yeah. Generally speaking, yep. you don't want to be in early. You want to be in late. That, I mean, that that is the booster fund era lesson. 100%. Um, and the only time that's not true is when you are the first person to spot Ledger Shredder before the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always going to be the, the, you know, 5 to 10% that you should be on, on early. The question is, are you good enough to be able to spot it consistently to offset the other 90%? I would say most people, if not nearly all, are not good enough right i mean it's you got to be pretty good pretty in tune to both in terms of what's the rarity what's the desire what's the need um and you know sometimes you hit it but it's it's difficult um it's kind of one of those things you better do your research and not take anything for granted they also showed off some jumpstart rares from the phyrexia all will be one jumpstart booster is a product that i think is not going to last much longer no, nope. uh, the I think the the annual jumpstart thing has value. I think that these interim jumpstart products are kind of silly and have not sold all that well. They definitely cranked up the rares here, but they're all very medium, regardless. Might Overseer, Serum Sovereign, Kinzu of the Bleak Coven, Rux Hexgold Nabber, and Goliath Hatchery are all solid EDH cards. But you know, I'm not going to go through them in detail because I suspect none of them are going to be. Uh, particularly financially relevant. They also showed up, probably the most exciting thing they showed off from a play design perspective today was there was a uh, Atraxa uh, version that was floating around. And it was Atraxa Grand Unifier. Three green, white, blue, black. So seven total. Phyrexian Angel, Flying Vigilance, Death Touch Lifelink, which is standard for her. Uh, when Atraxa enters the battlefield, reveal the top 10 cards of your library. For each card type, you may put one card of that type into your hand, put the rest at the bottom of the library in any order. This card got much more interesting when you go to the reminder text, which says the card types are artifacts, battle, 
Creature, Enchantment, Instant, Land, Planeswalker, and Sorcery. So for the first time in a long time, we're getting a new card type, which is apparently called Battle. And I I had uh, prophesied years back on this cast that there would be a... Um, a card type that would be a mini game kind of scenario where there would be some kind of objective that the players had to tussle over. And I'm curious whether this is going to end up being that like, it's going to be like first, first person to, to kill three of the other person's creatures get such and such. Mm. Yeah. I saw this floating around. I wasn't really sure what to make of it, honestly, except that Tarmogoyf could be bigger. <laughs> yeah. It means, it means Tarmogoyf could arguably be bigger. It means things like, Go, uh, goblin Tarfire. No, it's just called Tarfire, right? Tarfire, the Goblin Tribal Instant and some of that other stuff. Original foils of those cards, if they end up having a reason to be relevant, could see some gains, I would imagine. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I so, mean, this seems... It's seven mana. It's, it doesn't seem like it's very pushed. Um, Niv, Mizzet Reborn seems very similar, where you're, it's coming into play for a couple mana less and, you know, pulling out couple you know two to five cards if you're building your deck right this seems very similar um it's fine i think it's probably living mostly on the atraxa's name if this had something else i think people would have went oh that's big and fine but just a straight value card so i I think it's fine but I, i don't think it'll in six months i don't think we'll be talking about it put it that way uh, I don't know. The Atraxa being the number one commander of all time and this fitting into most of the decks where you, you like the versions of Atraxa will all find a home for this just thematically. This, okay. this Atraxa will probably be, probably be worth money um, down the road, but it could well get cheap. It's really the card being flagged isn't necessarily for financial value. It's because yeah, yeah, that, yeah, of course. Now we're all like on the edge of our seats waiting to see what these battle cards look like. Right. Um, and whether they're in this set or March of the Machines. Like whether this is a future forward reference. Yeah, uh, it's a tra- it probably is because they've already revealed close to the entire set, right? I mean, all the rares from the leaks and the actual regular previews and most of the mythics, not all. Yeah, so it's probably forthcoming. Uh, they're printing a strictly better Diabolic Edict. Shieldred's Edict yeah, is good. one in black. Uh, each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature. They also sacrifice a creature token. And they sacrifice a Planeswalker. Uh, yeah, that could be or, the... Ex- or a Planeswalker. Uh, no. It, it's oh, choose one. Oh, yeah, yeah, choose one. But, but you get to choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not them. So yeah, no, it's a it's it's the best edict I think they've they've made. I think this will definitely see pl- competitive play. It's very and it, good, and it's also a much better version of the card for commander because every opponent does it. Yeah, true. So yeah, you're you're looking at the board state and going, uh, yeah, I don't care about tokens this turn, but there are two planeswalkers I need to get rid of. So for two mana, right. I need to deal do with that right now. Uh, th- this could be the expressive iteration of the set. It would not surprise me in the slightest. Um, the only other in- uncommon that jumped out at me as being potentially as good was Ossification, which is basically a two-mana uh, chain to the rocks, but instead of having to go on a mountain, it goes on any basic land. That'll see plenty of play. It- this also looks like the kind of card they're going to reprint in Commander decks forever. Is it- It's a rare, right? Uh, no, it's an uncommon. 
uncommon. Yeah, that seems like something they'll reprint a ton and do it as a Friday Night Magic promo, all of that. Yep. They also showed off that there there are secret layers forthcoming that are themed Phyrexian. So there's a uh, Phyrexian language secret layer that's going to have Ink Moth Nexus, Batter Skull, uh, the blue and green infect creatures that are one ones. And Kirik getting its like fifth printing or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So this card, I did the history on that just because I was like so confused. And uh, disclosure, I still own sixty copies, but I've sold one hundred and twenty at fourteen apiece, and I was in at five. So I've made my ah, money you're fine. back. You're fine. I'm I got, fine. I have no sympathy for you. Yeah, I, no I'm totally fine. But it's just like so. I bought this card because I'm like it's clearly good, and apparently Watsy agreed. But they've reprinted it, so they did the secret layer just two three months ago which was a collaborative secret layer with um post malone post malone so i mean that's un in my opinion unforgivable to go back-to-back secret layers within a few months i that if a product team on one set and a secret layer doesn't talk to each other that's bad well but but that's not yeah that but that's not what happened that that's a case where post malone was willing to work with you on your nerd brand and so he, you said, what's your favorite deck? And he said, my Kyrick deck. And you said, oh, that's great, great, great. Because <laughs> there's no way you're saying no in that situation yeah, and forcing I, him to another deck. You could flip this card out into anything. I mean, it's it, it just... But then on top of that, so on top of that, they also had it in the list, um, which, you know... And then they also had it as a judge promo, which, of course, judge promos are limited printing. But, like... You add two secret layers, a judge promo, and the list, and you look at the card. It was $5 in November 2021. It's not like this is one of those that broke out right away, and everyone's like, oh, we got to do something about this, and then they overhammered it. This was when they made these choices for the judge promo and some of these other things, like, this wasn't a crazy expensive card. And at peak, it was $15. So it still wasn't crazy. Un- unforgivable number of reprints, am I? And it just shows Watsy's massive policy uh, of note the judge promo is still 90 dollars, so it's, it's not like there's tremendous tears for the judges or anything yeah. um they also showed off secret layer phyrexian showcase which is a bunch of phyrexian related cards unfortunately there's only one card that really matters here phyrexian unlife phyrexian crusader plague engineer being the important card urtai the corrupted and glissa the traitor cool thematic secret layer but you know, this is not anything like the five Phyrexian Praetor secret layer that they did a couple yeah. of years back that was much richer. There's also a Borderless Planeswalker secret layer, and they only showed off Nicol Bolas Dragon God with some really hot art. Apparently that one is going to be WPN Network exclusive, so it's going to be a secret layer that the stores can order. Yeah, so was that, is it going to be a whole secret layer, or is it just ca- that card going out to stores? I couldn't really no, tell. I, no, I assume that there's a, it's a five borderless planeswalker set Got that the, will be, is the the little trinket they're throwing to the WPN network so right. they don't complain about secret That's layers. That's cool. I like that. I mean... I, you could, re- I mean, that, like I said, the judge foil, judge promo, or whatever, that's fine, right? Like, that's a small number, and a, a WPM promo is going to be even smaller, probably, or close to it. That that type of thing, I don't think, really impacts prices. It's more just about goodwill to the WPN. So, whatever's in there, totally fine by me. I bet you it'll be Teferi and Karn, because they love to print those cards. 
All right, I think we got a got a handle on things for this week and uh, should be wrapping up that set next week and maybe we'll have some more secret layer details for folks as well. In the meantime, where can folks find you online, Derek? Yeah, folks can find me online and mostly on Twitter at Oko Assassin. Uh, how about you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering in 2023. Once again, MTG Finance, Fast Finance, is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best of Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order. And to support this podcast, James, that brings us to the end of this episode, and I guess of my, uh, at least for now, the regular appearances on the cast, but really appreciate all the opportunities to chat with you, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to come on as a guest at some point here in the future i'm sure we will have you snuck back onto cast here and there massive thanks yous to derek for joining me uh through the last half of 2022 and into 2023 and we will have cliff daigle return to cast next week see all of you next week for another episode of mtg fast finance